sitting on the porch with Georgie T. Hearing tales of Tennessee. So joining me on the Tales of Tennessee podcast today is an absolute favourite for UK country fans. His trips over from the States are garnering a bigger audience each time and his upcoming album is sure to be a hit. He is country singer Kenny Foster. So welcome to the podcast, Kenny. Oh, it's so good to be here, Georgie. How are you? I'm good, thank you. So you've had a recent trip over here to the UK and that encompassed a whole host of things. So you did a presentation at the BCMA Awards, you did a media showcase for your new album and you did sort of a a few other events around London. How was it for you um, sort of after such a long time of being away? Well, it was so good to be back. I I, I wished I'd been playing this time. I'll tell you that much right now. Um, It was so good. It was just... You know, I miss you guys. It's been too long. Um, And I think it was nice to sort of release. I mean, I'll be honest, the UK was one of the first real, um, I don't know, I I hate to call it just groups of folks that that took to the record. Um, Mm. when, when When Deep Cuts came out, you guys are a very discerning audience. And so to win you all over made me feel really good about myself. And I knew that if I was going to put another record out, it was going to have to get past y'all, um, the gatekeeper, so to speak. So it was really nice. We're a tough crowd. <laughs> I listen. Well, well, you listen intently, and I appreciate that because I try to, with my writing and performances, try to um, reward people that are paying attention. And you guys most definitely do that. And uh, and and I hope that you feel that way on the new record. Absolutely. Well, I think we'll come on to that a little bit later in the podcast, sure. but just. Um, for people that may not have come across your music yet or whatever, you've you come from a small town in Missouri and you've moved moved yes. to Nashville to pursue your dream. How did you get to that point that that realization that actually you needed to leave home, leave everything you know and and kind of spread mm. your wings to to do your music? How does anyone? What's the Kenny um, Foster backstory? Well, the Kenny Foster backstory is that I I I lived a very charmed life as a child. Um, I had a fantastic family. Uh, I had a wonderful sister, uh, mom and a dad that are still kicking, still doing it. Um, and I had a community of people that were just so supportive and lovely. And they sort of just cheered me on in all of my endeavors. And that was, you know, outside of music even. You know, I did I did a bit of acting. I was in speech and debate. I played soccer. I, uh, sorry, football for you guys. Um, yeah. I, I I was involved in so many things and, and and I think that they were just all cheering me on towards the thing that made the most sense. And for me, having started, you know, in choir probably when I was in third grade or so, um, but had always been in like like day school musicals and that sort of thing. Like I'd I'd always been doing this, always been performing, and I think it, it was it was to leave the Nashville was the ultimate choice that I made. Um, I didn't let go of a lot of those other things um, before I left. But then by the time that I was there, um, I realized what I was up against. You know, there's a lot of people. So every, every charmed story with a, with a lovely, you know, support group back home, um, I moved to a town where everybody who had that same story also moved. (laughs) So you find out, you find out very quickly just um, how small uh, your big world becomes. Um, and so, but it, but it was so obvious to me that it was time to go, that that was what was destined for me. Like ev- every sign was pointing to it. And so I decided that I would go regardless of how much I knew about it. And so I don't know if my naivete was my protector or if it was my ultimate, <laughs> the ultimate criminal in this case, I don't know, but I, I'd like to think that I wouldn't be living this life now if I hadn't made that jump. And, and I, I can, I can fully say that I would not be, I would have never have known this was possible had I not gone to a place where it's not only possible, but almost normalized. That was a really nice community of people to place myself around. And was it ever an option to not move? Like, were you ever, cause I, I think you come from like a, a farming family. Like, was it ever an option just to stay there to work on the farm? It was not for me. And not 
for my family. I mean, I think they always expected me to go to university. That was sort of an expectation uh, for my family. And so then when I decided in going to university that I had aspirations beyond that even, um, they were more than supportive. But I, I, uh, gosh, what to say? These are such compelling questions, Jordy. So I'm trying to treat them with the respect that they deserve. Um, yeah, I don't think it was an option for. I mean, of course, they would have me back in an instant if I decided I wanted to go back home. That's that's not what's at play here. But I don't think, I don't think my heart was ever going to let me do that. And the problem is, I I explain it in this manner. I, it's sort of like, you know, when you buy a brand new balloon, mm-hmm. and it's very very tiny and it's so small and it's petite and it's perfect and it's even got that dust on it that tastes funny that you hate. Um, so I once you blow that up it never retains its original shape like you can let all of the air out of it but it's a bit floppier and it's a bit bigger around the edges and like if it was ever in its own individual balloon package you would never be able to put it back in there and that's kind of how i feel it's just sort of once once my desires and my expectations and my view of this life and what's possible once that happened i i'm not sure that i'm ever going to be able to go back in the package that's um, such a perfect way of describing it. And I think so many people will be able to to relate to that. And it does, you know, it takes everybody a different amount of time to realize what they're supposed to be doing. I mean, it took me absolutely. 34 years to realize mm. what I was supposed mm. to be doing. But sure. now I've realized that I, well, I don't uh, think I could go back. Um, it's, a, it's a Mark Twain quote, actually, from The Adventures of Tom Sawyer there. The two most important days in your life are the day that you were born and the day that you figure out why. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely. And how much when you're, you say you did some dramatics and and acting and what have you, (laughs) how much of that do you use when you're on stage and you're performing or when we're watching you perform? Is that all Kenny? Or is that a persona that you put on when you get onto stage? That's a good question. Um, And one that's not easily answerable. Um, We are a lot of things within each person to quote Walt Whitman. Apparently I'm getting all of my uh, authors (laughs) in here today, but he said there are multitudes inside of me. And I think that that's true of everyone. Um, I, part of why I close my eyes a lot when I perform is because I want to make sure that I'm not performing. Does that make sense? Yeah, um, And so I find that I close my eyes a lot because I want it. I want the delivery to be as much of me as humanly possible. You know, you can't take someone off a stage. I think we all perform in our daily lives. If, if we really want to get down to brass tacks, you know, yep. we have a persona that we fulfill for each group of people we're around. But I like to think that when I'm on stage, maybe I'm even the purest most open part of myself, you know, to be able to say, here are words that mean a lot to me. And I thought enough of it to write it. I thought enough of it to record it. I thought enough of it to bring it all the way here and sing it for you now. And I hope that you appreciate it, but you are allowed not to, you know, but I think it's the earnestness with that exchange when it's not a performance that I think that's, I, I think that's the realest human experience left i think that's what i'm after when i go up there i think that's why i travel as far and as wide as i do because i want to share time with people that think that that exchange is as important as i do yeah. if i could be doing anything it's it's having that exchange and that, that exchange can happen in a living room with an old friend or it can happen on a stage with you know a few hundred new ones you know it just um it depends on what you bring and so i would like to think that um that what you're getting when you come to a show is 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 the me the me that i definitely want to be that day perfect so before we talk too much about the new record and what you've got coming up you met your lovely wife sarah and it but it sounds like you had quite a tough time sort of around your wedding and the first year of your your married life how did how did you kind of keep positive and keep going through that so i think I read that your wedding was flooded, your honeymoon was cancelled and all of these (laughs) different things were going on. You know, when you get a period of tough luck like that, how do you keep going and how do you keep positive and keep thinking, no, this is right. We are Mm. are on the right road. Mm. 
Oh, you're getting into the, the crux of the issue, my dear. We're, <laughs> we're getting to the seed, the, the base of the roots. Um, I don't know that anyone who is doing anything gets to avoid suffering. Um, I think even if you manage to live a life that helps you become devoid of suffering, um, the suffering happens at the end when you realize you haven't done anything. Um, I don't think any of us are ever going to escape it. And so it's important to have a good relationship with suffering, um, to recognize that it is not always there for a reason. Um, sometimes it is absolutely arbitrary, like in the case of a tornado. Um, there are some things that are very obvious. Somebody intentionally hurt you for their own gains or for what have you. I mean, you have to sort of reframe your entire world, your entire outlook on how you live your life. If, uh, I like to subscribe that everything happens for a reason, but I'm not sure that that's true. But I think that you can make good out of the things that do happen. Uh, but that's really your own application at that point in time. So how do I keep on? I keep on because you can't not. Otherwise, you just set yourself up for suffering in a different, more weird way that's going to come out sideways when you least expect it. I'd rather be on top of it when it's happening, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And I think I, I'm – so I had a brain hemorrhage five years ago. And mm. at, at the time – you know, obviously it wasn't great. It was probably worse for my family than it was <laughs> for me. But that Completely. that single um, occurrence in my life has totally yes. changed my life for the better. The course so of it, sure. Well, I'm so glad a, to hear that. You know, it's really been a, a positive experience in general. But since then, like I do, yeah. I do believe that you know things happen for a reason. But I know it is yeah. cheesy. But the old quotes like, you know, the sunshine is always just behind the clouds and things like that. It's just so true. true. And you do have to just kind of keep taking one step at a time, don't you? And and then yeah. get it out of the way. Like you're saying, you have to just kind of take the suffering and then you get to the other side and breathe a bit of a sigh of relief before um, whatever happens next happens. Sure. Well, yes. And like, I don't want to give the sense that I think we're all just leaves in the wind. It's not that desperate you know mm. um uh, i feel like we can enforce the things that we want to do we can put ourselves in those moments i mean that's the thing about suffering like it is negative outwardly but we every bit of suffering offers an opportunity to grow and we decide what to do with that um, we get an, we get an opportunity to learn something new about ourselves, about the world at large and the people around us. And sometimes what you find from suffering is that you didn't have as many friends as you thought you did. And that's a really important lesson because now you know where to put your time, attention and efforts, you know, um, or maybe you find out that you're more loved by more people than you ever could have imagined. And that's an important realization. And sometimes both of those things are true at the exact same time. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's trying to figure out how do we, I don't want to say streamline it, but how do we, how do we tap into the essence? Like what, what, what are we doing here? What is this? And if it's not full of meaning and connection, like I don't want it. Like I don't understand it if it's outside of the bounds of those two things. And if it takes a strange scenario that we somehow pull through, um, for us to be become enlightened more, I think we're grateful for that purpose. Like, I, I mean, you said it yourself, everything happens for a reason, but I, like I said, I'm not sure that it does, but you have made it. So, right. You, mm -hmm. you have, you have inserted your, you are putting your will to this and saying, look, it didn't take me. I am here. I am running a new path because there's nothing more important than the time that I have and the things that I want to get accomplished. And so then you do those things. And, and so then all of those things, whether it's the praise, the successes, or the suffering, they become much, much smaller as compared to the whole gamut of emotions, which I am trying to do is the way I try to live. It's the way I try to create and perform and write. I'm, I'm trying to get to the essence. And the more time I can spend in and around the essence and discuss, discussing the essence, like right now, or like um, 
finding out new things about that, like I am eager to learn. I am curious to learn because I know at some point the learning will stop and, and that will be the saddest day for me, I think. Yeah. Well, I think you've kind of neatly led us on to talking about your new record because I was lucky enough to hear the the preview preview that you did. Yeah. And I'm now, so glad you were there. Thank the, you. With the care and the, ten- the attention that you put into that evening was just mind-blowing because so many people wouldn't wouldn't have done that and Hmm. you made it so personal and you know this is a real a real story of your your real history and it's it is you know it's telling your story your personal story so how long has it taken you to create this record are these songs that you've had brewing inside you for ages and you've only just kind of written them down or have you been working on them for a few years and and it's only now that they're just about as you as you want them sure well um i'm not a big editor Hmm. georgie i i think that you say it as best you can at the time and if you didn't get it right then you just rewrite it later um as something completely new i try not to go back over songs too much and 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 I write so much and I don't want this to take any of the magic away from the situation, but like I write so much that like, if you didn't get it right today, you'll get it right tomorrow. And and I think that sort of carries through in the rest of my life as well, you know? Um, So these songs, I mean, I think the oldest song that I wrote for this record is, I mean, there are a couple songs on this record that I wrote before deep cuts came out, Mm. but then, but then, like the title track for the record, which we won't talk about yet because I'm not allowed to. Um, it was written the week before I went into the studio. Mm. So, um, cause I knew where I was headed. Once I had actually assembled all of the songs together, I said, ah, now I know what this is and I need to make sure that I tie it up because in deep cuts, when I put out deep cuts, the record before this, it didn't have a title track. It was just, the explanation of the songs therein, and in this case, I realized that the ubiquity of my story uh, was a lot stronger than I thought. The fact that it can cross a pond, the f- fact that it can cross cultures—you know—I some of the references may be very specifically mine, but I don't think the underlying essence of what it means to grow up and figure out what the heck it is that we're doing here, like I don't think that that's that is not solely mine. And so, finding a way to um celebrate my story in the midst of the larger one which is that we all have one like Mm. we don't all make a record we don't all end up in a documentary we don't all write a book but we all have a story that's as rich that's as interesting that has players and has characters and i love thinking about and talking about those stories those things so my next my next question was going to be that you yeah. know at the media showcase you were able to take the time to explain and mm. talk about the background of each song and kind of fill us in with your take on the song. Sure. How important is that to you that you're able to get that message out there or judging by what you've just said are you happy for people to kind of take it take it as they see it themselves and take the songs as they can relate to them? Yeah, I, I'm much more the second one. Um, mm. I'm glad that you felt that it was helpful for me to like Sherpa you guys through the record, but it was more of like a necessity, just wanting to like point out, really give a sense of intentionality. And if I thought that there was something worth saying about it, I wanted to make sure and say it, whether to provide context or what have you. But um, no, I fully understand. And I think I even said it that night. Um, it it's it it is no longer mine as soon as it's in the public eye and i've gotten to live with this record for a year um and to listen to it with new ears in the room helped me listen to it with new ears um mm-hmm. that's a really interesting special um arrangement that we have you know it, i feel the same way when i get to perform like when i get to perform a song with new ears in the audience i get to play it like it's the first time it's ever been done you know i get to hear it through them and i feel like it it connects us better. Um, that's part of the reason that I do this. And, and part of the thing that made the last 18 months so hard is that you don't get that same feeling over zoom. You don't get to like feel the air in the room change when a, a lyric is said in the right way, or, you know, it just, 
some of that nuance got lost. Um, but as soon as I put this record out, it becomes everyone else's and it's not mine anymore. Um, and part, part of that is sad. And part of that's beautiful, you know, um, which I think is why you take the time and care and making it right the way that you wanted it, because you know what you meant (laughs) regardless of what everyone else, because sometimes people find even more beautiful things in the thing. Like you have some inadvertent genius that comes out because they're like, Oh, did you do this because of that? And you're like, no, but I'm definitely taking credit for that now. Um, yeah. (laughs) Those happy accidents are like the way that people bring their experience to it. I, I, it's beautiful. It's life, you know, it's, it's life in a nutshell. There's been a bit in the media recently because Adele, um, managed to persuade Spotify to take off the shuffle button from the albums yeah what do you what do you think about that does that mean anything to you do you kind of take it or leave it no I think it's amazing I mean I there's a way that I would like people to do it but you can't force somebody's attention and 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 like yes this is the way I intended it so I have a much deeper more intense knowledge of the material they're in and all the intentions behind it Mm. um I would like people to take it that way, but like, I'm not so daft as to think that I like, I get to do that. Um, I'm not, I'm not dissing Adele by any stretch of imagination. I think it's amazing. And I love that she has the pull for that because we do do it in such a way. Like I, I think somebody from that, from the showcase night told me that it was like unrent, uh, unrelentingly emotional. And Mm -hmm. I think that, I think that that's on purpose. You know, I, I think, the reason I sequenced the songs was so that it gave you a rest in one area before it, you know, tickled the strings of your heart in another way. Cause I wasn't going to hit the same thing over and over again until where you became numb to it. You know, it's, it's a dance and, and that's kind of what I want people to experience. But if not, not all fans want to go as deep as I want to go, do you know what I mean? Like some of them just want the singles and they want to get in and out. And I, I cannot disrespect those fans as well because they also help me, uh, to continue doing what I'm doing. I have to say it's given me kind of a, a fresh set of eyes on on the whole situation because I have always been guilty, you know, whether it's a playlist or an album, I just go in there and I hit play and it doesn't really matter to me whether it's on shuffle or it's just playing straight through from the beginning. And actually sure. with an album, um, I tend to sometimes actually do it intentionally because Otherwise, I just end up listening to the first four songs over and over again and never actually get <laughs> sure. to the get to the end ones. But sure. it has given me kind of a new um, thought process about it. And it just hadn't really registered the sure. amount of thought and effort that people go into, that artists go into when they are selecting the tracks and which sure. order they go in, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, yeah, it's given me a fresh, fresh set of eyes on on that. And cool. When you were when you are selecting the tracks or were selecting the tracks for this new record, yeah. did they kind of fit together quite naturally, or were there other tracks that you sort of had a bit of push and pull with? You're like, oh, do I include that one? Do I not include that one? Or did these did this selection just just work together? Well, I I narrowed it down to fifty, and then it got really hard. Mm. Um, so I had uh, we. It's a, it's a terrible analogy, but we say you, sometimes you have to kill your your babies. <laughs> like, you right. have to just like, yeah, like this is an amazing song, but it's too much like this, or it covers yeah. the same ground, or or isn't as good as this other one. And like, that's a sad thing to have to do. But also, I think it the sort of crucible that 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 you put yourself into when you do that. I mean, it's why I moved to Nashville. Like, I want it to be the best when it comes out mm-hmm. the other side. And if that means that it's a struggle, then so be it. Um, these songs definitely started centering around a theme um, as I started pulling them together and part of what the vintage collection was was putting the songs that weren't going to make the record out anyway because though they were part of my story they weren't exactly my story and so I left them off the new record um, but still wanted them to have a voice and and, uh, luckily with it don't work like that people were really resonating with that and that's been great to see um now it makes me wonder if should i put it on the record or not um but no it um these songs definitely clicked and i think the thing that my wife who is always a great critic and support at the same time Mm. she i i trust her opinion 
and we spend an awful lot of time together, which I am so grateful about. Um, but she, we listened back. Uh, we had a really long drive just yesterday. Yeah. And we listened back again. And the thing that she said afterwards was she said, um, it, it all fits and it's not sitting on top of each other. And that was, and that was what I really wanted to do. Like, I want people to have this journey when they listen to it, but I don't want them to feel like, Oh, this has already been said, you know, like maybe there's some overlap, but that's really only to keep the theme going. Like it's, it's, um, uh, I probably care way too much about this kind of thing, but I, but I feel like I want to respect my listener. Like, like I said, I want to uh, reward the people that are paying attention and I want them to find that I had them in mind when I put it together. So whether they're expecting that from me or not, I still want to be the guy that gives that. Well, I don't think there is such a thing as caring too much about this because like you say, it is, it's, they're your babies and sure. <laughs> and you want, you want people to hear the things you want them to hear and actually it's got to sit properly with you that you've done yeah, it the way ultimately. that you you want to do it and and yeah. I think that comes with promoting anything you know you've actually got sure. to be passionate about it and care about sure. it otherwise you're going to be useless um or not useless Absolutely. but you know you're not going to do it no, to no, the no. best of your ability keep the word useless I think it was the right choice <laughs> there we go so with your your musical influences do you have any particular sort of artists that you listen to when you're trying to get into a creative mindset or do you listen to a whole host of different music and genres and 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 artists it's it's a whole host for me um because it started with singer songwriters but then my dad was a huge Jethro Tull fan though I listened to old school gospel and I listened to I listen. I didn't even listen to classic classic country till later in life because I mm. didn't realize what I was missing. You know, there. Are, you know, with every bit of music, there's a cultural stigma that comes along with it, and the best thing we can do is get around that and find out what's good about it. Um, and I, and I, I imagine that's a struggle you guys probably deal with with American country music in the UK. You know, it just it takes a particular type of person to say look i understand that there are stigmas about this but there's something really great it's an as an art form otherwise how has it existed this long um i feel like i listen to pop music i i listen to adele i listen to Coldplay. i uh, grew up on the beatles i grew up uh on james taylor and paul simon and i grew up listening to rush and, and jethro toll and, and then when i was in my teenage years i got to experience there's a genre emo. Are you familiar with emo? I wouldn't say I'm familiar with it, but I know what it is. So it was basically just Midwestern suburban boy angst. Um, yeah. And, and I loved it. It was just, it spoke to me right where I was at. And, and so I listened to, there's a guy named dashboard confessional who's well worth your time. Um, if you ever want to check out emotional music. Um, okay. And uh, it, but then people that sort of dance that line between pop and really emotional music, like counting crows, I think are a really great example of somebody who like, how do you classify them genre? They were not alternative rock. They were not acoustic. They certainly weren't country. Um, but it was really emotionally almost theatrically delivered by Adam Duritz. And it was strangely written, you know, like part of it was very pop and part of it was just this big, long poem with all of these pictures in it. And I just, I loved that, you know. I loved Peter Gabriel and and Yes and Pink Floyd and I'm I'm naming a lot of British acts. I, I realize now that I'm not coming in, it's, but it it's um uh, I don't know. It just was part of my upbringing, and my dad had this huge CD collection, you know, in the towers that you could spin around, and and he had a bunch of LPs and records, and and so I listened to all of it, and. I think it all informs who I am and what I'm doing now. Um, and what about more, I don't know, don't know how to say it, but different genres like rap or techno or electronic music that doesn't necessarily have lyrics as, as we would think about sure. lyrics. Do you listen to that at all? Cause that I have to confess that I'm, I, I don't necessarily get it. Like I love music, but I think when I'm listening to music, it's about the lyrics and it's about the storytelling and it doesn't really sure. matter what genre it is as long as sure. I can follow that, that sort of story. 
Sure. Um, I, I care deeply about rap. Um, even if these stories are not my stories, I recognize that the lyricism and the storytelling, the way that it resonates with the culture that's around it, I mean, it's so powerful. Uh, mm. And I know that even if it's not my story, to, to witness something that is well done and real is, is, is important to our development, I think, as, as a species, you know, to just to behold somebody like Kendrick Lamar who rises through the ranks and captures an entirely new audience and the respect of the old one and starts mashing up genres and doing collaborations. It's just, I think because when someone's at the peak of their game, you just want to watch it happen. So I, I definitely care about rap and hip hop and, and the whole situation. I, I will say that probably my blind spot, my blind spot is probably EDM. Yeah. um dnb um the thing is like when the chain smokers do a smash up with you know cold play and get 1.6 billion listens i mean something right is happening there yeah. it's a very emotional music in a different way that kind of lets you shut your brain off so i certainly understand that um and i appreciate some of the ways that they put together chord progressions in a way that i wouldn't necessarily mm. do uh so there's, there's nothing to be lost. I mean, I think things work because they work. Um, we get to question why. We let the historians worry about that part. But well, I think good same, music's good music, isn't it? Well, it is. And it doesn't even have to be yours to mean that it's good. I mean, yeah. I think that was probably the biggest difficulty because, you know, as an artist, what you want to believe is like, well, no, mine's the best and I want everyone to pay attention with it. And that's mm -hmm. the trap that you can fall in very early. And And at some point you realize, no, man, like, make the best thing that you know how to make. Because if you're doing that, then someone is going to recognize the excellence of it and maybe even like it just for that reason. Not because you were trying to be something else or you were chasing some other sound. Like if you're fully and truly you, I think that resonates with anybody across cultures. Like you can recognize, like I don't, I don't need to know what they're saying in German hip hop to recognize that like there are artists there that are, they really mean what they say and their delivery is such, I don't even have to know what the words are to, to get an emotional response from that. I, yeah. I just, I think sometimes it just works uh, yeah. and it's, it's an expression. It's a, it's an art form. Like you said. Definitely. And obviously you you were over here in the UK back in 2019, you were able to tour and stuff in 2019 and then yes. 2020 came and yeah. we were all stuck at home, yeah. not, not being able to get out and about how did that sort of affect your creativity and your your songwriting was it actually a welcome rest and you could take a breath and go okay well this is the this is the deal I'm here so I'm gonna make the most of it or did you struggle to mm. to find creativity and find new inspiration mm. um I'm gonna say both if I may I always dance these lines um because we didn't know how long it was going to last, you know? Yeah. So I, I didn't really give myself over to, yeah, we're here. We didn't have an official lockdown like you guys did in the UK. Right. So I think that there was probably like a shared experience that you all had in that to be like, well, look, I'm here. So how am I going to spend it? You know? Yeah. And with us, I mean, there were some people out, there was a bunch of arguments popping up. There was some polarization that happened in the middle of that. Mm. Several movements started happening. So the American moment was really kind of strange um very disorienting to be honest uh i think that i find a lot of my joy and inspiration from the unity that i find in humanity um and to have so much disunity at least in my immediate my immediate culture and i even lost several friends over the pandemic just because of of, of cultural differences and mm. I, I ideological differences and that was really interesting slash hard so part of it really hampered my creativity because the foundation upon which I try to build everything is that, look, we're all in this together. And I think we've got a lot of things to say to one another. And when people were sort of saying, yeah, I don't agree with that at all. And, and whatever it is that you have to say, I don't want to hear it. That was hard. Uh, that was really hard because I feel like the openness to a message of inclusivity and, and, uh, and growth and, and, you know, the unity of humanity, those things kind of all fall by the wayside when everybody's fighting for themselves. Um, and and, do, you and sort that, of, do you feel that settled a bit now? Because from what we read in the papers, you know, there's still quite a lot of division over there 
in the States and, you know, just reading comments on Facebook and Twitter and things like that, which, yes, it always brings out the uh, the crazies. Um, but, you know, <laughs> how, how is it? Has it settled a bit? Are you finding that easier now? Uh, what I have found to be easier is to remove myself from the situation. Mm. Um, because I... I still believe in the things I've got a lot riding on my worldview. Yeah. Um, not, and not just my career, you know, my, my relationships, my family, my eternity, like they're all are wrapped into how I view this thing. And when that starts to be lost because of the chaos or because of the disunion when I can get a perspective on it, I recognize that it only reinforces not just the existence of my worldview, but also the necessity of my worldview. Mm. Um, I find that in trying to bring people together and reconcile differences, like beautiful things happen. Um, and when they seem irreconcilable, I can't just sit there and bang the drum over and over again. It doesn't serve me well. Um, but you can find opportunities, um, to, I don't know, exercise that message, try that message out, try to exist and relate with others in, in a forum where there is mutual respect, where there is care, um, and typing from behind a computer when you don't have to feel, feel the room change you don't have to stare in somebody's eyes when you've offended them or their families or their ideologies like when you have to actually be there and do it the number of people that i think are willing to do that to another person those numbers drop significantly yeah um, absolutely. and so is there still disunion online oh yeah i think there always will be it's not a it's not a human thing that we do it's informative it can be helpful it can connect us but it can't like I think about arguments you get on Facebook at any given moment, somebody can just like go to the toilet and never return to the conversation and it's over. And you wouldn't do that to another human being. Do you know what I mean? Uh, because there are some expectations. There's some social mores that we've sort of built. There's this in inherent mutual respect, I think that we have. And, and the more forums that we can get into that feel like that, that are that I think we find the relative goodness of humanity starts to show itself. Yeah. And I think, you know, in, when you're in person, you tend to surround yourself with people that you do respect and you do like, you don't actively go out there sure. and, and hang around with people that you have no respect for. Or at least, sure. you know, most people don't. Whereas when you are online, you are interacting with people that you don't know. And, and a lot of the time you, they don't have your, proper true respect because you don't know them and i think sure people find it so much easier don't they to to cause um cause chaos online because it is not a real or they don't view people as real people because it is just behind the keyboard sure well i mean it, it can also give somebody a real sense of power to recognize that they are real and look what i was able to do to yeah. and to them and for them but i don't think people like to i think that that's really that's a byproduct of isolationism. I think yeah. sometimes like when, when, when you're not, when you feel disconnected, then you kind of lose respect for any of this, you know, yeah. for, for relationships, for other people, for society at large, if you feel isolated, if you do not feel love or compassion or a sense of belonging in your own life, it's really easy to hate everything that does. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. and, and as we are kind of bringing it back to, bringing it back to this upcoming release yeah how will will this kind of release cycle differ for you than previous ones you mm. know is there is there a difference because everything is so very digital now or kind of more so than than any time before the before the pandemic i mean for example we're having this chat over zoom now well i didn't know what zoom sure. was before before sure, zoom, sure, sure. Uh, covid <laughs> Well, the positivity of this, which I never got around to, is that there was more time for me to pour into the creative aspects yeah. of the record. I wasn't, I wasn't also touring. I wasn't also writing mm -hmm. daily. So I got to spend a lot more time doing that, which I think is probably why the, 
the evening felt so intentional as it did. And I'm so glad it came across that way because I think it's what I needed and what I wanted at the same time. I'm glad to Absolutely. feel like it was mirrored. Um, but I would say that I understand that we are in a singles market right now from a casual fan standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's what streaming has done, uh, which is why we'll be releasing singles before we release the full record. Um, the first single will be in mid-January and then the, the full record won't be ready until uh, early summer. Yeah. Um, but to be perfectly honest, I'm not even sure that because I get to make these calls as an independent artist. Um, I'm not even sure that I'm going to release the entire album digitally. I think I'm going to keep it in hard copy. And so the fans that want to dig in and are intentional about it, like let's reward them. And it basically feel like you can get it early. You know, because I feel like once you release something globally, everyone, it, I don't know, it becomes a commodity at that point. But yeah. if you've heard four or five songs that you really, really love and you want to know what's next, well, then, like, there's an opportunity for those people. And I hope I, I hope that that exchange feels right to them. Does that make yeah. sense? Like, I do care about this. I do want to support this. I want to know now. And so they can get in while everyone else will just have to wait if they're only going to live in that digital space. Yeah. Yeah, I think that sounds a fantastic plan and, you know, and much appreciated from from your fans' perspective because it does show that how much you kind of respect people listening to your music and taking the time to to understand it and really hear what you're what you're putting out, which is which yeah. is brilliant. Well, so, and, you know, it's with, we're doing vinyl on this one. We're doing yes. CDs and like we did full like 28 page booklet and like there's photography and we have like acoustic performances of every song on the record because oh, I got to, I got to go to the places that sparked these memories and then play in them, you know, like it was, it was a really neat thing. I, I, I even imagine in the middle of the next year, if, if the reception is good, creating basically like a companion. So if really the only way people are getting music, like there can still be those visual elements that they can hold that tactile sensation of like, Oh no, this is a real thing. Yeah. It's not just, it's not just ones and zeros. You know, this is, this is an experience to be had. Awesome. Awesome. So before we move on to the second part of the podcast, which is basically talking about Nashville. Now, can you tell us the story of your fascination with a certain UK football club? That's quite random. (laughs) And how did it come about? so um you don't get to choose your club your club chooses you and um we so i was a footballer um by you know american standards uh was part of the olympic development program here as a youth and uh traveled actually to england when i was 12 to play in some tournaments up against um all sorts of different countries and that was a probably a really formative experience for me um so I've always been into football. I played at university. I walked onto the team there and I realized quickly that I was not going to be going pro as an American university student already at the age of 22. And that's why I decided I would dig into music. And, and, um, so my fandom never stopped and I was a big U S supporter and I always watched football and it was kind of a niche following over here for a long time. Mm. And when I realized that like basically your equivalent of American football, where everyone's talking about it all the time and there's so much information, there's so much press about it. I mean, I I was aware of it, but I didn't know how deep the rabbit hole went. And uh, I got into a group of fans that were just premier league fans. And we had one pub that every fan of every club would meet at. And it was this place called Fleet Street, and it was a pub, and actually a pub that sponsored my adult league soccer team at the time. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so we all went in, and so we would have all 20 Premier League teams were all in the same pub cheering for their people on different televisions. <laughs> so, <laughs> and it was such a like weird thing that would never happen um, in the UK. And it was so fascinating. And so what I ended up finding was the cultures of each club and how it sort of translated over here. Cause there were a ton of British expats that are over here now that needed a reason to get up and find, you know, fellow fans of this thing. Yeah. And, and it turns that I really just got on with and appreciated the history of, and to be perfectly honest, the gallows humor 
of one Tottenham Hotspur football club. <laughs> like, like even when things were crap, they're like, well, yeah, we've come to expect that. And like, I can get behind anybody that has that sort of like, you know, that, that expectation that like, look, when it's really good, it feels really good. And when it's bad, you can't let it get to you. And there was yeah. just something, something about that that was really special to me. And uh, you guys ended up signing well, our, our Spurs ended up signing Clint Dempsey shortly thereafter, which was an American footballer, maybe our, our, you know, our biggest name in the last 15 years. Yeah. And then it was all over, you know, it was over from there. And it is, it's been quite a ride with that club. I've, I've really appreciated all the interesting, great memories I've gotten to make with them and like getting to meet players and managers along the way. And it's, um, yeah, I've got a long history with them now. I'm never getting out. So well, I know nothing about football, but I'm delighted yeah. that a piece of the UK is so special to you. It is. It is. I even have a license plate that is an homage to, uh, <laughs> to Spurs. As, Love, it. Love it. As silly as it is. So rolling back the years now and talking about Nashville and your first impressions, when you, you said you were very naive when you, when you went there, what, were you, what did you expect it to to be like and and how has it lived up to those expectations or exceeded them or just been completely different well i had the good fortune of having a friend who went to university here before i ever made the decision to move so i got to come and experience nashville in what seemed like its wholeness at the time um there's a university here belmont university that's yeah. very very music business oriented and and I decided ultimately to transfer my university education to Belmont. Um, and that was my introduction. And so I was super steeped into this sort of like university music culture, which turns yeah. out is completely different from the actual music culture. So I had this sort of like soft introduction. Um, I mean, it was fascinating within, you know, within three months of moving here, I was on a com entirely student run, of course, but, um, production with like in front of 1200 people and with lights and sound and like the whole bit and you know people tuning your guitars for you and suddenly we were just these artists as part of these showcases that they put on as part of the curriculum for the university and so it was such a training ground to learn about the music industry from yeah. the whole and then you've got that against the backdrop of a city which at the time honestly was kind of sleepy I mean, it had a great history and there was, and music row was always going to be music row, but the boom that we're seeing in the last 10 years or so, like that was unprecedented. It was never in anybody's sight. Hmm. Um, I think I expected Nashville to be a land of opportunity and opportunity. It was, um, it just wasn't an opportunity for everybody because you didn't realize just how many people were fighting for them. Yeah. Um, that was the thing I had no sense of being from a smaller town. You know, you don't realize how much competition there is for the spots because there were so many varied interests. And now you have literally just a, uh, almost like a, like a, like a wrestling ring mm. that like, like the Royal Rumble. I don't know if you know anything about wrestling, but like, it's like you get 16 guys in the same cage and like, there's not room for these people. What are they doing in there? And that's how it feels all the time. Yeah. And if anybody wants to like, leave at any point they just put another player in you know it yeah. never stops it never ends so you have to form alliances or like you find your little space that not a lot of people jump in and you and you just hold on for dear life i mean it is <laughs> it's just i'd never have experienced a culture like it before and part of it is really energizing especially when you first get here and part of it is just so sad and destructive yeah. because you're up against so much and and I never want to view another human, especially one with a similar interest as like a threat to my well-being. Mm. And sometimes it feels that way. Um, yeah. it's, if you, it's, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, if you were um, like, do you still get, do you still enjoy going out to watch live music and stuff when, while you're in Nashville or does it get to the point that actually you've, you've had enough and you just need to, shut yourself away are you still able to to get the enjoyment out of living in a place like that I, I do I do don't think that that ever goes away um I think I'm extremely spoiled because I have access to all of this stuff all the time and my wife works in television in uh she's I mean she's a co-producer on the CMA awards and so like my 
my ability to see music at its very biggest production level at the very top like i have access to that all of the time in a way that i imagine a lot of people don't even people that live in town so i'm sometimes the glitz and the glamour really wears on me and which actually makes finding really really good live music that much more important to me yeah so and i have access to it because i think everybody who is trying to forge their own path anymore it kind of feels like it has to go through nashville especially if you're on the writing side um mm. i mean there's people there's artists from i mean adele's first record like 60 70 percent of it was written here yeah. you know like there was a point at which you know 75 percent of the written music like sheet music and published music in the world was coming out of nashville and while the format has changed. I don't think the community has changed. I think people still come here when they want to take their music really seriously. Yeah. Um, and so I now have all of these tools to find things that I think are really great. And then I can go and support them specifically for myself, you know, new artists that I'm just like, this person is great and they don't even know it yet. And I want to be there and I can usually look up online or pick up a Nashville scene and I could be seeing them within the week, you know, if I discover somebody I really love. Um, and so it, that, that part's not gone by any stretch. So kind of sticking on those lines, can you share some of those like hidden gems for us? So if, if somebody was coming over to Nashville for the first time, yes, they can go down to Broadway, they can go to the Ryman, they can go to the Opry, but where are some kind of hidden, hidden gems that you might find those really special undiscovered artists absolutely um so i play the listening room a lot yeah um it's it's like a big bluebird that you can actually get into yeah um, that's the problem with the bluebird i love the bluebird it's such a wonderful thing um but the listening room is just a larger room and you don't know who you're going to get that night yeah um i mean i sometimes so i put together a lot of rounds there myself probably once a month and uh i'll have friends that i bring on that i don't even know they have a a single climb in the charts and like so i had friends that were on once and you know we write together but we don't always when we get together it's about the song it's not about the bragging points in yeah. any of that sort of situation so you get everybody in on the round and you all hang out before and have a drink and then once the show starts you realize oh no he had his first number one last week oh and she's got a, a kenny chesney single that's climbing right now and it's in the top 10 and you're like this is so weird yeah like what a weird night so i, I appreciate the listening for that um also, if, if you're in East Nashville, um, if you like some more alternative stuff, like yeah. the five spots, really cool. Um, I, I really like going to the basement East. Um, I mean, Charlie Worsham used to have a weekly thing down there. That was really cool. Mm. Um, let me think of what else. And what about like, what about food? So as I understand oh, it, it's going to, it's becoming quite a foodie place nashville do you have like a favorite place that you can head down and, and grab some food yeah, oh my gosh yeah so god i could i could talk so broadly on on food it's absurd um so my favorite restaurant is actually this indian fusion restaurant called uh show on um there's a or maybe, maybe show on of course i'm gonna mispronounce it um the celebrity chef Manit Chowan, but she owns this whole little row of restaurants um one's indian one is chinese mandarin fair and then one is like her take on southern food which is yeah actually pretty crazy but i really like the masala and ale house that she has down there um if i'm just going oh and if we're talking about hot chicken there's a place called pepper fire but they they closed during the uh during the pandemic but it said temporarily so i'm praying that they come back because i really really appreciate it and also in north nashville hot chicken i'm just trying to i'm not saying that hattie bees is bad i'm just saying that there are other things and Absolutely. so 400 degrees in north nashville is really really hard to get into you literally have to make a reservation just to pick it up because they only make when they run out of birds they're out of birds so 400 degrees is well worth your time um cully um I, there's this dive Mexican place that's near us that has some of the best carnitas that I've ever had in my life. And I've spent a lot of time in Mexico and Central America. Um, it's it's called uh, El Mariachi. And I usually go in the warm weather months and sit on the porch, and which overlooks the beautiful parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> 
and uh but no the carnitas they're amazing um i spent a lot of time at craft brood which is like a um it's just a it's a craft brew they have about 25 rotating taps of just yeah. whatever's interesting and then they have some of the best like soft pretzels just like the really fat sometimes sticks sometimes big soft pretzels i eat those a lot too love it no it's great it's just so that you know listeners can plan where they want to uh where they want to go if they're able to head over to Nashville. I know lots of people have been longing to go over there for the last couple of years. And um, I mean, I know my bucket list is growing every time I do one of these podcasts, (laughs) I get some more really good tips and I'm thinking, God, I'm going to have to be there for about three months to get through all of these, but it's great. It's brilliant. I love it. I love it. So what about a bit further afield in Tennessee? Do you have any, you know, any particular places that you would go for a weekend away or something like that in, in Tennessee? Yeah, so uh, if you spend any time down in uh, Chattanooga, Chattanooga is beautiful country down there. Um, and the drive on the way out, um, yeah. it's worth going to a little town called Mon Eagle. Have you heard of it? No. Okay, there's a little town called Mon Eagle. And on, in Mon Eagle, which is on top of this mountain on your way into the Smokies, I don't know if it's like the very tip of the south part of the Smokies or not, but... Um, there's a university there called uh, School of the South, I think. It's in Sewanee, um, S-E-W-A-N-E-E. And just park and wander around that beautiful campus. I mean, we don't have a ton of old buildings. Like, you guys have old buildings over there. Yeah. But it's so it's so picturesque, and all the stonework's really beautiful, and they have this great old, you know, uh, church, chapel, cathedral. Um, really cool architecture, so I love that. Um and then down Chattanooga way, there's actually a place called Foster Falls. So of course I'm a little biased, of but um, there's a nice little hike around Foster Falls. Um, Fall Creek Falls is also another one. I don't know if anybody's yep. sent you that direction, but yeah. that, that was pretty obvious. Brilliant. And so you've mentioned that you like, you know, finding undiscovered artists and, and following them and what have you. Do you have yeah. a particular u.s artist that is really under the radar that you think we all need to to watch out for and and have a follow of several um am i allowed to give more than one you are yes great um so this is this one's out of genre um not country by any stretch of the imagination but there's a guy named patrick droney that i really really like um uh, d-r-o-n-e-y um it's very pop. It's very John Mayer, but it's still very emotional. Uh, mm. And he's and he's a lyric guy. I mean, in a way that John Mayer is as well. Um, and I was a huge John Mayer fan back in the day, so I appreciate this sort of new iteration. And he can play guitar just as well. He's a he's a lot of fun. Um, there are several females that I really enjoy right now. Um, there's a girl named May Estes who I've done a, a duet with before yeah. and she's a dear friend, like a sister from another mister. And <laughs> she's, she's really finding her voice and her footing, which I appreciate about her. Um, there's another girl named Peyton Porter um, that I really like. She only has one single out right now called therapy and it's great. Um, but we've written quite a few times together and I really appreciate she knows who she is and she has a lot of good people that are in her corner. So yeah. I look forward to that. Um, oh, uh, Jordan Shellhart, she's a co-writer and friend of mine, J-O-R-D-Y-N and two L's on Shellhart. Okay. Um, man, she's got a record that I think is going to floor some people. Um, I've gotten to hear a few tracks off of it. Um, yeah, really honest, really earnest. She's cool. Brilliant. Um, and then he's a brand new writer and new friend of mine, but I really like what he does. A guy named Colton Venner, um, V-E-N-N-E-R. He's got a song called Where It's Blue. And I think it's probably like, probably one of my favorite. I mean, since I moved to town, probably one of like top 10 favorite songs I've ever heard. Okay. It's just, I don't know. There's something really, really special about that song. So. Awesome. And what about UK country singers? I know you've got a lot of friends over here in the UK. Yeah. Um, I'm not about to insult anybody by for leaving somebody out. Um, do you want to pass on this question or is there, uh, are there a couple of people that you can, you know, you suggest uh, that everybody should, should be listening to? You guys listen, the scene is small enough. If you're not listening to everybody, you're doing something wrong. 
Um, I, I, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not going to pick favorites. Um, <laughs> but I will, I will use this opportunity to plug the fact that, um, I am putting a holiday song out with my buddy Ags Connolly, oh, yeah. um, <laughs> who was, who we, we became friends because, friends because of Spurs and then realized we did music together and I've gotten to play several shows with him over there. And so we just decided to have a good old, I don't know, pub sing with, well, why Auld the Lang- heck not? Oh, uh, with, with Auld Lang Syne. And, and we, we, I, I kind of rewrote a bridge in there to yeah. make it sort of like a unifying bridge sing song, but I like it. So, um, yeah, that'll be, that'll be coming out in a couple of weeks. So brilliant. And, what would be your go-to road trip song? So if you were going to head down to Foster Falls for a weekend, <laughs> what would you be listening to? It doesn't have to be country. Just what would what would mm. make you put the windows down, turn the radio up? Mm. Mm. That's a great question. Um, my music interests are so varied. Um, because I can... I either go way back. I mean, I know, I know a record that my wife and I always end up pulling out at some point is uh, John Mayer's Born and Raised. Okay. Um, and, and in that same, for the same reasons and along the same lines as, you know, Stapleton's Traveler, of course. Yeah. Um, because it just has that, it's not asking too much of you. It's yeah. so, it's so mellow, but it, it, if you, if you want to check out, you can, but if you want to check in, there's something for you there. And I think I really appreciate that about those two records. So my road trip songs usually have a lot of space in them, a lot of room to breathe and, and help you feel like you're sauntering along, not like screaming somewhere. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think that's the perfect way to describe them. You know, you can either check out or you can check in. I think that's brilliant. Yeah. Absolutely. Brilliant. So when are you coming back to the UK? When is your next release out? Where can people find out, um, you know, how to pre-save, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, my, my favorite social thing right now is Instagram, just because I can put up a picture in a, in a short caption. But yeah. then, like, the stories are so silly. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I usually put stupid memes or just, like, take a quick video of something that's around me. Um so that's probably my favorite. That's Kenny Foster music. Um, I, I, I dabble in Facebook, um, but, but really Insta, I think, is, is kind of my biggest thing right now. I've got a website as well, kennyfostermusic.com. It gives you links to all of these people and places um, yeah. and, a, and a very outdated blog, which will get updated very soon when we come back. Um, <clears throat> The, the next release I have is coming out December 17th. It's that Auld Lang Syne with the, and if you don't like want to grab a beer and, and blink with some friends and ring in the new year with that song, I think I've done something terribly wrong because it feels, <laughs> it feels really, really good. Um, and I got to go in with my producer Mitch to do that track, which was cool. Um, and then the new record comes, uh, the first single, I mean, right now it's, it's the middle of January. Um, will be the first single okay and we will be several singles deep by the time the record comes out in uh, may-ish right now yeah. so um please come and say hello and if anybody in your listening audience is coming to nashville and needs more recommendations about restaurants please have them reach out i'm happy to fill in the we gaps Absolutely. And I have to give a shout out to your YouTube channel where you've got your rewind video for the world tour in 2019. And I watched it earlier today and it just gave me goosebumps. And, you know, you just want to be out there being able to do all of these wonderful things again. So, uh, yeah, I would shout that out for anyone that wants to have a watch of that. Um, Thank you. That was really Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure as always. And um, hopefully we'll be able to see you back over here in the UK, hopefully next year. Cross your fingers for the for the summer and or early fall. That's that's my m- main goal right now. Get this record out and, and get singing it for people who care about it. Awesome. Well, thank you ever so much. And no, thank uh, you, yeah, George. hopefully we shall see you soon. All right. Cheers.
So our post-production edits are probably going to be a little bit long this time. Kenny has given us some fantastic recommendations. But just to recap, um, if you are out there and you're looking um, in Nashville for somewhere great to go and find some new new music, then The Listening Room is fantastic. And I can vouch for that. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, and Kenny also likes going down to the Five Spot and Basement East. Um, that's there in East, East Nashville. Get my words out. And if you're looking for places to eat, he's got loads and loads of recommendations. Of course, you can get in touch with him again if you want more recommendations. But the Shalon or Shalon and the Indian Fusion, um, we've got Pepper Fire for hot chicken, 400 degrees in North Nashville. There's a craft craft brew place. But Kenny is such a nice guy. Absolutely get in touch with him if you want some more recommendations, if you are heading out to Nashville and want to find somewhere good to eat. And if you're heading further afield, then Chattanooga down, um, we've got Foster Falls. I think everyone should now go to Foster Falls and Fall Creek Falls as well. So some great recommendations there from Kenny. And thank you all so much for listening. You have been listening to the Tales of Tennessee podcast with me, Georgie T. You can keep up to date with the podcast by following us at talesoftennessee.podbean.com or by following all of our social media channels for the Tennessee Fields Festival. The handle is at TN Fields Fest on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. You can also follow me, Georgie T, on Instagram at the underscore accidental underscore everything. We'd love to hear from you. So don't forget, you can email us at talesoftennessee at yahoo.com. And as always, thanks go to Francis and Archie Ween for providing the jingles for this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Sitting on the porch with Georgie T. Hearing tales of Tennessee.